Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. The information depicted in this podcast is purely for informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional before making any changes to your lifestyle or routine. Hey everyone, and welcome to the Boost Your Biology podcast. My name is Lucas, and I'm the founder of Ergogenic Health. Together in this podcast series, we will go underground to explore cutting-edge health and human performance insights that you simply cannot search on Google to help you upgrade your existence. So without any further ado, let's jump into today's episode. What's up fam, Lucas here. I want to take a moment to announce a couple of things to all my new listeners on the podcast. Firstly, if you're looking to upgrade your brain function, whether that be through reducing brain fog, enhancing verbal fluency, improving confidence, motivation, drive, or even orgasm intensity, then check out my nootropics course, which can be found on my website at www.ergogenic.health. And you'll see at the top, it will say courses where you can use the discount code BYB15 to save 15% off. In addition, I also have a sleep optimization masterclass and a testosterone optimization course that can also be accessed on my website. Again, you can use the same discount code BYB15 to save 15% off. What's up, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Boost Your Biology podcast. Today, I have a special guest who's actually very close and within 10 kilometers of where I live, actually. He's based in, uh, in Port Melbourne, not from the States this time. So today, joining me in on the show is what I would say to be one of the leading experts in um, body composition, bodybuilding, um, performance-enhancing drugs and other really nifty scientific hacks and things like that. So joining me in today is Victor Black. Welcome to the show, man. Thank you, Lucas. I might have, I might have misled you with that with the preamble we're having before the call. Uh, I, was, I, I grew up in Port Melbourne, but I, I live in Thailand now in Chiang Mai. So today, today <laughs> I'm in Chiang Mai, but I'm a, I'm a Port Melbourne boy. So that's, that was my curiosity as to what part of Melbourne you're in. Yeah, Thanks for having me on, though. Appreciate that. Yeah, it's going to be a great chat. So basically... What we're going to do today is um, we're going to delve deep into uh, melatonin and yep. uh, basically, yeah, we're going to break down everything people need to know about melatonin supplements, um, how it's synthesized and some of our, some of its other biological effects. So, um, Victor, do you want to sort of start off with like, I guess, explain to my listeners what melatonin actually is, first of all. Yeah, yeah, let me let me just before I do that, I'm, we're going to be talking about a few, you know, quote unquote studies, you know, science papers, as it were, you know, however, however you want it, clinical evidence, whatever terminology floats your boat. Um, so I want to make this kind of uh, preamble before we get into that because I think it's really important. We, it's fair to say that we living now in the time of the evidence based trainer and the evidence based information provider now. I think that's a good thing. I, I, I'm all for that. The challenge, in, honestly, in my opinion, is this, and that is um, whenever we're looking at a subject, whether it's supplementation, whether it's enhancement, whether it's you know, you know, training practices, this, this is across the board. 
in my opinion, you really need to consider the entire body of evidence that we have available before you start making rash, rash, your knee jerk type statements about you know, this product does this. Because any singular study on any subject can always be refuted. Yeah. So, you know, part of the part of the challenge with the evidence-based, the rise and rise of the evidence-based educator, the evidence-based trainer is every man and his dog today is, you know, putting out posts, putting out content and, and attaching a study to that content, you know, with the intention of it providing a proof point, which as I said, I think it's fabulous. That's great. The challenge is though, that particular study might not be the best study to make the point. In fact, it actually could be the one outlying study on that subject. And so it's possible for people, you know, that are are reading or following along to be massively misled because of the context of that study. I will give you an example. If we were to look at the subject of testosterone replacement therapy, right? We have a, a position today, a stance on testosterone replacement therapy and prostate cancer. Okay. It's very clear, right? But that, doesn't mean that I can't show you a hundred studies that raise the specter of prostate cancer from testosterone replacement therapy dating back 70 years. Mm-hmm. You know I mean? So if I was to randomly go on you know, a resource site like PubMed and, and type in testosterone prostate cancer and go looking for a, a study, I could very easily come up with a study that says exactly the opposite of what is the case based on the quality of that study, you know, when it was done, the context of the study, the cohort, of individuals. It was, so I guess the point I'm making, a long ramble, I apologize, but um, as we go through these studies, I'm going to attempt to talk about some proof points, but, but I want people to understand that everything I say, all of my opinions are fundamentally based on two things. The entire body of evidence that we have on a subject, and then I form my opinion around that. Mm. And then secondly, you know, what have we observed in the real world? Okay. So it's all well and good to say, well, this is true in, in, in evidence, but then you need to balance that. Any good evidence-based practitioner recognizes that observation and anecdote has as much value for us as does clinical evidence. And it's the it's standing in the middle between these two worlds where you get true insight and true value for clients. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, l- let's just start with melatonin. In my opinion, uh, most people probably don't even realize, you know, what melatonin is because it's actually a hormone that's got multiple actions. Most people would associate um, the the function of melatonin with uh, sleep patterns and what are called circadian rhythms. Okay. If, in any of the language that I use, the terminology I use, if you, if you, if I'm, I'm deliberately trying to keep things very simple, I know your audience is very savvy. So I'll, try and find the middle ground. But if there's something I say and you want me to clarify it, by all means. So most people I think would associate melatonin with sleep and circadian rhythm regulation. Yeah? Mm-hmm. But the reality is, is that um, the, the origins of the melatonin hormone date back billions of years. Every single animal and plant on the planet that has been studied to date contains melatonin, which is interesting because then you think, what the fuck are they doing with it? They don't have circadian rhythms, right? And, and it, it only makes sense when you understand the original purpose of melatonin was as an antioxidant. Mm. That's where it began. Now, how did biology leverage this antioxidant towards sleep regulation and, and circadian rhythm regulation? Well, that's because it's kind of pulsatile in nature. Mm. The level of, of melatonin in the blood rises and falls throughout the day. And so to have a circadian rhythm regulator or a sleep hormone regulator, by definition, that hormone has to do that. Mm. Okay. So there are many hormones that do that, but, you know, nature being nature, biology being biology, that one happened to be chosen for that task for, for, for a purpose. I have no idea why. Clearly, there's probably a, an explanation, but I don't think it matters here. It just matters to say, listen, you need to understand every planet, every plant, every animal on the planet regardless of whether they sleep or not, regardless of whether they, they, they exist through biological circadian rhythms, contains the hormone melatonin. Mm. And that means that you really should view melatonin through a different filter rather than sleep regulation. Say, well, actually it's an antioxidant and anti-inflammatory. And then millions of years later, due to the, to, to the rising and falling, falling regulation of melatonin in serum level blood, it was repurpose for a separate task which we are now kind of 
you know, collectively think, well, that's what it's for. Not really true. Now, why would that matter? Well, you know, we should probably start with understanding what it does first, first, you know, and then we could obviously move on to, so what was the repurposed task as a logical sequence of events? That, that to me just makes sense. What was its origin? What does it do? Let's understand that to begin with, and then we can move on to the second step. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So let's sort of, um, let's take a step back and then analyze, I guess, although its original origins were as an antioxidant, yep. let's, let's look at some of the, the pleiotropic effects that it has. Like let's, let's start delving into some of the effects that it does have downstream. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So, so I, I guess I would say that if, if I was looking at it through my filters, this is a really, that's a really interesting point. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll just, if you could just give me a, a little latitude here. Yeah. We'll, we'll, I promise we'll get into the meat of things, but I think sometimes it's important to set the framework for a conversation so people can understand because a hormone like melatonin is, it's kind of like talking about genetics. What the fuck does that mean? Genetics, you know, what I mean? like what, what, what does a hormone like melatonin does or what a hormone like melatonin does your filters change based on who you are. Mm. Okay. I mean, when you began, you introduced me as someone that's very interested in enhancement practices. Um, you know, unashamedly, you know, m- most people that know me, you know, my profile is slowly building, but most people would know me as the PD guy, the guy that's always talking about enhancement, you know, and drugs. And so when I see melatonin, I see things in probably a very different way that you see things. Mm. Okay. So, so let me tell you how I see it, right? And then you can tell me how you see it. And I think what you'll find is, well, both things are true. Yeah. It's just the filters that we, that we view the world through tend to change you know, how we see that. Mm-hmm. So I, I always ask the question, so what's in it for me? What's in it for our tribe? So I would say these, these areas, as I said, that uh, melatonin regulates are things like biological rhythms and, excuse me, I'll just take a quick drink and uh, regulation of sleep. As I said, it's a, a, a very powerful antioxidant. I'll talk about that in, in a minute. Um, an anti-inflammatory, it's a, an immune function modulator and like an anti-tumor agent. But I mean, we could spend an hour having a conversation, probably three hours having conversation about any one of those threads you can pull on, okay? Maybe, maybe I'll just start by talking about some potential applications of people who use enhancement products, make, make, if that's okay. Yeah? yeah. And by all means, if, the, if, if you want to jump in and, and, you know, add some value or something along the way, that's great. Cause I said, I, I completely respect the fact that different people coming from different domains, different areas of interest, let's call that, are going to see different supplements through different filters in terms of like, not only what they do, but the value they might hold. Yeah. Okay. So, so there's probably three or four things that I'm interested in for melatonin that you go, yeah, I get that, but that's not maybe necessarily what I'm interested in. You know, I'll give you a, a simple example. There are some drugs that we would take as, you know, drug, you know, enhancement users like the drug Trembolone, for example, that is notorious for disrupting sleep hygiene. Okay. So anyone that's ever used Trembolone, even people that have you know heard the rumors about Trembolone, you know, I, I heard this is true, bro, um, would probably relate to a couple of things, the notorious night sweats and the notorious disruption of quality of sleep. Now, we actually know through surrogate models why that is, what, what Trembolone does to basically disrupt sleep quality, Duran. And there is actually a study, and again, this is the idea of like, you know, so you start pulling out studies. There was a study on a surrogate group that shows that the application of melatonin has the potential to help us here. Mm. Okay. So it's not really in saying, okay, so we have a natural sleep model in a healthy young man over here. We're taking a healthy young man and we're through pharmacology disrupting that sleep pattern, right? And the first scenario, he may not well need melatonin. He may have a perfectly functional, it's a healthy young man, perfectly functional production of melatonin cycle. But then we introduce a pharmacological agent like the drug melatonin, so like the drug Trembolone, and we completely disrupt that. Hmm. So by the introduction of melatonin there in a conditional setting, potentially has the ability to provide benefit to him where it may not to you. Do you mean? So um, I, I would argue, as I said, s- sleep hygiene and the, the 
regulation of sleep and circadian rhythm is an obvious one for our tribe, the enhanced tribe, then I would say, if you're aware of the deleterious effects of drugs like Trembolone on sleep quality, and most guys are, there's two things that you can do about that. One is the dose is the poison. It always is. I mean, the, the degradation of sleep quality consequential to the use of Trembolone is dose dependent. The more you use, the worse it gets. Yeah. And there is a, a case to be made for the supplementation of melatonin in that environment, basically to aid, aid with sleep hygiene. Okay. You want to, um, Victor, go just ahead, go back to that. You said the more you use, the worse the sleep the, gets. The, 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 the worse the degradation of sleep quality. Okay? Yes, yes, yes. For example, I am a fan of Trembolone, but I use drugs on what I would call a needs basis. So cycle design is needs based. Mm-hmm. Okay. First, you understand the individual, what they're trying to achieve and their needs and their goals and their risk profile and, and, and. And from that premise, we start designing a potential, you know, a polypharmacy stack of drugs that we might put in front of that person to realize their goals. That's really not how most people approach cycle design. Most people, you know, back in the day in the 70s, cycle design was, I'm not joking, was was based on what was rolling around in the bottom of your drug dealer's gym bag. Whatever he had, that's what you were taking, right? And, 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 you know, more people today are kind of working on a basis of, I, I heard that works, bro. What do you think? But I tend to work on a basis of, you know, tell me who you are and what you're trying to achieve. And we'll put a, 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 a polypharmacy model together that has the best chance of helping you realize those goals. In that regard, Trembolone is probably a very valid tool, but it has su- such profound you know, implications of use in some cases, particularly on cognitive function issue and behavioral aspects, including sleep degradation, that you have to be very sparing with it. A little bit goes a very long way towards our goals and a little bit tends not to disrupt these problems in a profound way because it, there's a dose-dependent response. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Again, if my music language is, is, is too, too, too simple, please, please raise me up low and me down for your audience. Yeah? No, it's, it's fine. It's fine so far. I'm just, trying to, I'm, I'm just trying to dig deeper into like, um, I'm trying to look at melatonin now as a, bro- a broad spectrum anti-aging hormone in a sense. Okay. Yeah. yeah, cool. All right, so let, let, let's let's take a step back because maybe that's a little too narrow for your audience, like th- the, the Trembolone application. It's certainly of great interest to my audience, yeah? I would say let, let's let's begin with natural individuals. Let's start there and then we can probably dr- drill further down in if, if you'd like. I often introduce melatonin to older individuals as the performance, first, first cab off the rate performance enhancing drug, mm. right? And that shocks a little people because, Again, we, we actually have pretty good evidence that melatonin is a hormone of aging. In other words, as you get older, hormone production degrades and profoundly so, profoundly so. So anyone that's over 30 years old, you would expect to see if you ever looked, at, I mean, there are dozens of studies on this and they all support each other. There's variance between the studies, but they all say the same thing basically, which is uh, melatonin production degrades with age. Shall we shall we explore some of the potential reasons why that's the case? Like, um, have you have you ever thought about like the impact of fluoride, the impact of um, you know other parameters that may affect the production? I, I think the answer to that is always. I mean, it's always the same answer, and that is so. There's a genetic component. Mm. There's a a gender component. Okay. There's a behaviors component, and there's an environment component. This is always true. Yeah. Okay. But I would also argue that you shouldn't necessarily approach that discussion from changing those things to pursue that outcome. You should do that across the board. Mm. So as a general rule of thumb, things that are good for us are good for us. And things that are bad for us are bad for us. So if if you are approaching quality of life through the filters of, look, I don't want to create the best environment and the best behavioral patterns I can, for quality of life, typically you'll pick up these things by default. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so you know, known toxins like smoking and too much alcohol and 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 poor quality of like even, I mean, it's it's a controversial subject. And I understand, and I have no problem if people want to push back on this. But there is some evidence to support the fact that just shift work is a carcinogen. Mm-hmm. Do you're in like it's and 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 you can understand that if you understand the way that melatonin is produced you know, at night in a in a rhythmic model and that 
you know, the presence of daylight and, and the presence of no daylight is what effectively triggers, you know, that cascade of events for production massively disrupting that massively disrupts that. Mm. Now that's a behavioral thing that some people can't avoid. You know, some people are just shift workers. That's how they are. If they're in the medical industry, like, you know, things don't shut down at a certain hour at night sort of thing. If you're a doctor and you have to work those shifts, you have to work those shifts. Mm. But, you know, it's all well and good to say, well, you shouldn't, but sometimes you just have to, like someone has to be on shift work. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not sure whether you agree with that statement, but that is my opinion that if you pursue quality of life as a general rule of thumb, 90% of the time, everything tends to fall in line. Mm. Good quality food, you know, a balanced diet. You know, in, uh, you know, when you have you know caloric restriction or caloric surplus, you make it modest. Don't be <clears> stupid with it. Doing don't need to brutalize yourself either way. You know, there are certain behaviors that we all might indulge in at times that are not necessarily you know the best for our health, et cetera, et cetera. And in my opinion, melatonin falls very nicely into that model. Mm. I might add in my um, opinion here. Absolutely. Yeah, I'd like to explore. Um, the difference between taking it or making it. So here's mm-hmm. my here's my stance. Um, because it's a hormone, we, mm-hmm. as as with most hormones, there's a negative feedback, right? You Correct. you introduce an exogenous hormone. The body then recognizes that it has an abundant an abundance, and it no longer needs to create its own. Is that the same with melatonin, or is melatonin unique or superior to other hormones in the sense that it doesn't have I, I would say that depends on how you're trying to leverage it. I will give I give you a this might I've never said this before publicly, so I might, I might get to the this guy. That makes no sense. I'm just free thinking. You, you're familiar with the 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 products like uh, citrulline malate and yep. creatine monohydrate and things like that. You know, there's a very good argument to make that you know what you can get these things from food, but you just can't get enough of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're in, so I see melatonin as the same. Like it depends what you're trying to use it for. If you're talking about a, a young, healthy male, okay, who is producing, you know, the right amount of melatonin suitable for his cohort, does supplementation make sense? I would say, well, what the fuck would you do that for? You might potentially look at precursor supplementation. So to make sure that you have a pool of substrate available, right, to support that, that would make sense. But if you're going to be using it for cancer treatment, that's not going to be enough. Exactly. And so, so the application then determines the pathway of administration. And, yep. and I would argue, again, this is the separation point between over here, we have a healthy young man like yourself, and you're saying, look, I'm interested in sleep hygiene. I don't have any other real agenda here. It's just you know, quality of sleep. Mm. I would probably take a precursor supplementation path with you. Yep. Over here, we have a woman that's suffering breast cancer. I wouldn't be taking that pathway with her. She gets melatonin. Mm. Doing, and in my tribe, I would say many of the benefits of melatonin are you know you immediately go to supplementation mm. because of the magnitude of amount or the the, the amount that you want the melatonin for it to have effect. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I think there like lies a key point. Obviously, context dependent, as you mentioned. Um, the person's goals obviously matters most, and then I guess um, addressing their lifestyle and things like that. But yeah, it really is unique though. Like. The melatonin, if we're using exogenously in doses between, let's say, one milligram to, I don't know what doses you go up to, or you've, you know, prescribed or recommended fifty milligrams, a hundred milligrams. I don't know. Yeah, so so it's fair to say that again, this is why I like I like to include clinical studies, but it's very easy to be misled by clinical studies. Yeah, I think that there's very good evidence to say that the clinically effective dose of melatonin on a supplementation level begins at about 0.3 milligrams. Yep. Very, very small amounts. Yeah. That's far more than most people use. Even like that would say I'm using a, a small, I mean, you know, most people that said I use three milligrams would say that's moderate. But you think about the magnitude of difference between the minimum clinical effective dose and what he's using. Going, that's a fucking whack, right? Like, wow, that's a lot more than you need. So I would argue that, most people that are using are plausibly overdosing it. Yep. And this is why you you hear a lot of anecdotal stories about people that have tried it and said, look, I didn't enjoy the experience. Like, yeah, because look how much you fucking took. Exactly. Right? exactly. So, so I would argue that 
in an ideal world, you always, it doesn't matter what drug we're talking about. And I consider all these things to be drugs. People, my definition of drugs is different to, you know, it's over the counter or not. Melatonin ultimately is a, is a hormone that interacts with receptors in the body. Mm -hmm. It's no different to testosterone in that regard, right? So melatonin is a drug in my opinion. Yeah. Um, you know, it, its mechanism of action is not what determines whether a drug is a drug or whether you need a prescription for it. It's not because I could walk into a pharmacy in, in Thailand to buy things that you need a prescription for. So that shouldn't define whether the drug is a drug. So if we accept that melatonin is a drug, all drugs should be dosed on a titrated basis. You by by default you start at the minimum clinical effective dose by default, yep. and then you titrate for effect for the individual. Mm -hmm. So. I would argue that you would that you would start at 0.3 milligrams, and most people at 0.3 milligrams get the effect that they desire without the deleterious consequence that they associate with melatonin use. If you come right out the gate at three milligrams, most people go, "Look, I don't like that." But give a look at what you're fucking using. That's a lot. You know? Yeah, it's 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 just too much. Start at the minimum clinical effective dose, which again I'm repeating myself is 0.3 milligrams. You know, dose before bedtime. Mm -hmm. And yeah. even. Um so I personally played around a while ago. I was experimenting, um, and the common the common story or the the common effect that most people get when they go beyond uh, one milligram is one to three milligram range. They wake up feeling groggy or they get nightmares. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And and what I would argue is it makes sense that potentially you would uh, try that, hmm. right? And if you were to be, let's call it an individual that seemed to be hypersensitive to that, and even at 0.3 milligrams, then it's really, the answer is real obvious. So back up and take a precursor model, mm -hmm. Doreen. There are, I mean, hopefully, you know, uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure if you, maybe you want to explain it. There is a mel melatonin synthesis within, within our bodies happens on a cascade of events that begins with tryptophan and, and goes down a cascade through serotonin to melatonin. You know, there's, there's a step stepwise process that I'm not, I'm not sure there's a need to describe here. It's it's fair enough to simply say, look, there are precursors like 5-HTP and like uh, L-theanine and other other compounds that you consider, and they're not the only two by any means, right? Mm -hmm. That one might consider, and I and I think that's a valid pathway. But with everything, I would always rather than write a prescription for someone, I would always encourage people that are interested in learning to try many paths and find out how they respond to each of those in turn and then ultimately make a decision about which is the right model for them mm. rather than be biased and say, you know, I heard Lucas or I heard Victor say, so therefore that is the only, the only valid model. I would say we could probably come up between us with five or six different plausible models that you could make a credible argument for each one, right? All of them would be premised on, okay, so it's either a precursor model or it's direct supplementation during and I would say, well, you know, the, the rational, logical thing here to do would be to, uh, over time, try them all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I know that's a great deal of time invested, but this is why I've been doing this for 35 <laughs> fucking years, because I've tried them all. <laughs> yeah. You know, I might actually add one point is, um, I remember back in the day, I looked into the half-life of mm -hmm. melatonin. I realized it was super short. It was like like 40 minutes or something, or 40, mm -hmm. you have to correct me on that. Um, and then the other point is that, I've seen the um, 300 microgram just instant release capsules and then 300 microgram six-hour timed release. Mm -hmm. That one there I think mimics the the body's production at best, like what it would naturally produce because like a grand Yeah, I think if that was – I understand your premise. I, I think if that's what you were seeking though – then logically you would take the precursor model. If you, if you were, if you were, if you were, if you, for whatever reason, I'm not saying it's not a valid reason said, look, you know, I would like to mimic the, the body's natural models as closely as possible. It's really fucking obvious what the answer to that is. We'll take the fucking natural pathway, which is I put these precursors in as substrate pools and I stand back and let nature take its course yeah. as opposed to, you know, forcing the production, you know, forcing the introduction of a molecule, at, at whatever, I don't care what the dose is. That's not that's not mimicking nature. That's you know taking the taking the keys and driving the car. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So let's look right, at so the, maybe let's look at that precursor model. Let's like okay. have a look at some of the nutrients because my listeners would love to know like what can people take, what can people look into to build to actually build their own melatonin. So I kind of mentioned two of them. I, I think it is as I said. I I feel like I kind of said that. So let me let me just repeat what I was basically saying. I think that 
you and I probably could sit down and 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 create at least half a dozen plausible models to 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 consider that pathway. Yeah, I think the most popular ones are probably the application of uh, 5-HTP and the amino acid uh, L-theanine. Usually they are administered in a combination with some other minerals like zinc and magnesium and chromium, for example, as a what, w- what would broadly be described as a quote, quote sleep stack. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm all for that. I think that's, I think that's, but this is interesting. This is the divergent pathway between what, what are your goals? What are you trying to achieve? Let, let me just, just give you some latitude. I want to talk about a couple of things for the enhancement tribe as well. Sure. And then we can come back to this because the, the point I'm making is if you see these things, you go, yeah, I can see what you're saying. It's like, I, got, I have to view this, this, this hormone through my filters and I need to make sure what those filters are before I start fucking making decisions about shit here. Mm-hmm. So, one of the reasons that I'm very keen on melatonin is its antioxidant properties. And I would argue that you know, at that dosage is at what I would call physiological range of melatonin. You're not going to realize the full benefits of the antioxidant, despite the fact that something that's not well understood, the reason melatonin is such a great antioxidant is because as it is metabolized in the human body, it is relatively unique in so much that its metabolites in themselves are antioxidants. Yeah. So as it interacts with an oxidant and it becomes metabolized and the hormone changes, most antioxidants become neutralized. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so they basically have a first run pass at the process and then they're done. Um, as, as melatonin uh, is metabolized, as it interacts with, you know, through the antioxidant process, each metabolite in turn, many of them are actually antioxidants in their own right. So you have this fabulous spill out effect where, you know, what, you know, milligram for milligram, in my opinion, melatonin is the most powerful antioxidant that we have at our disposal. And that's the, that's the underlying reason why is Uh because so most, most antioxidants become metabolized and they're done. Melatonin gets metabolized into other metabolites, right? And and those metabolites then take up their 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 stand in the fucking ranks, as it were. That's really interesting from us because you get a great deal of bang for your buck. But as I said, I would argue that you're probably going to be pushing up into what would be considered to be like, okay, that's quite a lot of melatonin. As I said, like five, 10 milligrams a day range. You know, and and, and as we know, we look at, you know, its application in, in 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 therapeutic practice outside of sleep hygiene, and we start to get into things like cancer treatments. And you're talking about like, man, they they they, they using a whack of the stuff, thirty milligrams plus a day, mm-hmm. doing. So, again, this is the concept of so. What are you trying to achieve? If you use anabolic steroids and use other performance enhancing drugs, and you don't yet realize that our practices raise oxidative stress, you're a fucking idiot, right? <laughs> This is this is not this is not a question. This is beyond question, right? Yep. This is just you. You just have to accept it. Those behaviours cause the consequential elevation of oxidative stress, even now, even testosterone itself. Uh, so what? So what I would argue is at moderate doses within physiological range. No, that's not true. But I don't consider that to be my practice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if, if we're talking about a, uh, a normal man who's hypergonadal, who's administering testosterone for TRT purposes. No, that, that's not what I meant. What I meant was the super physiological application of androgens. Yeah, yeah. yeah? So if you don't understand that, that's, that's just what fucking happens. Oxidative stress goes up. So, so you have a responsibility for healthcare that exceeds the, the needs of the healthy young man. Okay. Um, and there's two ways that we approach that. Clearly, that should begin with lifestyle choices and behaviors. Surely, that should begin with dosage and compound selection because not all drugs create oxidative stress. I mean, I, I'm on this fucking crusade at the moment trying to explain to people that different drugs cause oxidative stress at different levels. It's mm-hmm. not fair to say, you know, this drug doesn't cause stress and this drug does. I, you will never hear me say that. Once you cross that super physiological androgens level, they all cause stress, mm-hmm. but some of them are worse than others, right? Mm-hmm. So we try to set the worst ones aside and say, let's see if we can you know, live without those things perhaps, mm-hmm. yeah? Mm-hmm. But if you accept the fact that they do, then logically you have to have two things in place, a nutritional model rich in fruits and vegetables, you know, that is our first line of defense. And then it only makes sense that you should have an antioxidant strategy, supplementational strategy on the table. Now, 
I'm more than, this is the great question. I'm, so what would that look like? What should that be? Which one? How much? How do, you know, do we do use more than one? This is the great question that I am fascinating. I'm, I'm happy to get into with anyone about, I chose this antioxidant at this dose for this reason. Interesting conversation. I think when I say you're a fucking idiot is if you think that you're in a, a discussion around this is not warranted, you're an idiot. Now, if you have your own opinions about which antioxidant, how much do I use a multiple you know, model? Do I use you know, taurine and NAC and melatonin in combination or do I just go with melatonin? This, 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 is, the, this is the conversation. Mm. This is the conversation. Mm. And again, this is where I'm going back to. There's applications in our community. For example, we know that um, through cancer trials, women's breast cancer trials, that the way melatonin actually provides benefit here is because it acts as effectively a serum, yeah. which is very interesting. Okay, okay, so how the fuck does that apply to gynecomastia? That's interesting, mm. right? We also know that it's an enzyme inhibitor. Do so you want to just break down what serum actually means? My listeners probably yeah. understand. No, that's cool. So, so we use a lot of acronyms in this in this industry, th- three-letter and four-letter acronyms. So SERM stands for Selective Estrogen Receptor Modulator, there's another related term, which you know is a uh, a group of molecules that really spun out of SERM's development called SARMs. You mean the, the the whole SARMs movement is really premised on the success, as it were, of the SERMs movement. So um, SERMs are selective estrogen receptor modulators. They are basically hormones that have been you know synthesized, designed to uh, be ligands or molecules that bind with the estrogen receptor and prevent effectively estrogen binding with that molecule and therefore causing a cascade of, you know, genetic events that occur after that, you know, uh, gene transcription events, I should say, not genetic events. And and SARMs are basically their counterpart in terms of binding against the antigen receptor module. Now, the challenge is, is that that sounds all well and good and there's an application for estrogen-mediated breast cancer, but SERMs themselves, not by their action by inhibiting estrogen, are considered to be toxic drugs. Right, there are many, many potential risks with using SERMs, including thrombotic events. You elevate, you know, in the risk of basically a stroke. You're in. Um, women who are given these drugs are given these drugs with the intent of, you know, like you get them on, you get the therapeutic effect, and you get them the fuck off that drug. Do you know? You don't. You don't want. Them. Sorry, I'm not, I'm not a lot of swearing. You have to beat that over. <laughs> I swear all the time. Sorry, just beat me over. Um, so. Yeah, so so there are there are issues with the, with that class of drug. What what is interesting for me? I, have, I, I look at you. I've I've I've, uh, I've overstepped the boundaries there. Yeah, I can see that. You're embarrassed. I apologize, buddy. <laughs> just edit that out. <laughs> okay, uh, I'll I'll keep that copy for me though. Don't don't chop me out. I'll put that on my post. <laughs> um, so I guess what I would say is the 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 thing about that makes it interesting from people that are trying to understand. Okay, so estrogen modulation. You know, does melatonin have an application here? I would argue, well, based on the clinical evidence we do, it's a really interesting thread to be pulling on. Now, mm-hmm. I don't think anybody right, is able to demonstrate clinical effectiveness in males right, in the context of androgen supplementation. But it's it's enough to basically go. Mm, that's really interesting. Yeah. Now the challenge, of course, becomes because there's always a anyone that can't explain the good, the bad, and the ugly of something probably doesn't understand what they're talking about. The challenge, of course, is as effective as melatonin is in estrogen-mediated breast cancer treatment, it's also used in prostate cancer treatment. Mm-hmm. And one of the methodologies under which it works, it seems to have some impact on you know gonadotropin, you know, basically you know the the the, the endocrine system and, and androgen receptor modulation and things like this. So it's just an interesting thread at this point in time for me. Yeah, mm-hmm. but the premise here would be so the amount of melatonin that one might consider for that application, if you were is not going to be 0.3 milligrams. And it, you're, you're not going to realize that outcome through the cascade of, you know, precursor supplementation. Yeah. yeah. You're going to have to drive that manually. Mm, mm, yeah. yeah. No, that makes sense. Yep. All right. So maybe, um, yeah, I mean, where, did you have any other areas you wanted to branch off and sort of... Yeah, there's a, there's, a, there's a few things that I think that, um, again, they're, they're, these are these are kind of what I would call you know, niche areas, but I, I, I think they're, they're interesting. So let me just have a quick recap and then, and, the, and then we'll kind of, you know, get on to maybe the last area that I think would be interest of people. So firstly, I think we need to accept the fact that melatonin is more than just a, 
a hormone that's involved in sleep regulation. Its origin point um, is actually as an antioxidant, anti-inflammatory. Um, it, it, it's being used in clinical applications in this domain. And I think that's really interesting. I think there's a very clear separation between how we might utilize melatonin in that regard, yeah? Um, in, in, in my tribe, there's, there's interest in melatonin Firstly, because I'm an older guy and I have a lot of older followers, I'm in my you know, mid-50s now, um, I would argue that melatonin should be viewed through the lens of, look, if you're a healthy young guy, you're, in, you're probably producing melatonin at appropriate levels now. That's, that's, that's a fair assumption. Is there a discussion about plausible supplementation? Of course, but you should probably assume that you're good. The older you get, the more likely you are to be a candidate for supplementation. There is definitely an age-related decline in the production of that hormone. As I said, there's genetics, there's environment, there's behaviors, there's all sorts of things in play here. In my experience, people in my tribe tend to look after those things very well. The general public don't, Doreen. Um, so we could we could talk about you know all, all sorts of things that you might do, like the inclusion of like not wearing blue light blocking. Sorry, wearing blue light blocking lenses before you go to bed. This is good practice. I think you said before we started that you have a course on sleep hygiene. I'm I'm sure you address all of these things yeah, very yeah. clearly in that yeah. course. So rather than repeating what you're what 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 was already covered in that, yeah. If if we were to basically then move forward from that, you would say, okay, so if melatonin production declines with aging and that supplementation can, is something you would consider with a high degree of priority for older individuals. I would then go, okay, so in addition to that, um, my primary interest, in, you know, the real leading interest in melatonin is as an antioxidant, the master antioxidant, because it's just so good in its cascade of metabolism, becoming another antioxidant, another antioxidant, that um, if you're using anabolic steroids or other enhancement tools that raise oxidative stress. This just makes sense. And then we kind of break into those three niches. The first one was about um, the unique nature of drugs like Trembolone and its effect as a sleep disruptor, the potential to use melatonin here, the potential in gynecomastia treatment that melatonin is a CIRMS and uh, effectively a, a selective estrogen enzyme modulator as well. It potentially modulates the amount of enzyme available in the body. The last one would be as a what's called a somastatin inhibitor. Do, do you, yeah. Would your audience be familiar with that with that term? I am, but they won't be. So yeah. Okay. Cool. So let me just explain to this. So almost all endocrine systems, almost all hormonal systems in the human body are, are connected to what's referred to as a negative feedback loop. Okay. Mm -hmm. So we produce the hormone in response to basically chemical signaling. You know, at some point. You know, there's production. The best analogy I could make, it's kind of, kind of like the thermostat. Everybody's heard this analogy. It's not my analogy. It's like the thermostat in your house. You set the thermostat, the heat comes on, the heat reaches a certain temperature, an adjustment is made back to the heating element that basically says that's enough heat, okay? So insulin is the exception to the rule. Most hormone production in the human body is on a negative feedback loop. That's not true for insulin, yeah? Um, and this is also true for the production of growth hormone. Okay, so the challenge with using growth hormone releasing peptides is that they don't really work, you know, into super physiological range terribly well because once you start to elevate growth hormone to, you know, the upper limits of what's plausibly natural, um, you you end up with this uh, feedback basically from uh, what we call a somastatin inhibitor point of view. Okay, so it's a it's a inhibitory process that basically says stop making fucking growth hormone, right? Yeah, and um, there are a couple of theoretical models that you might deploy that could potentially act as somastatin inhibitors in this regard. Uh, one of those is the hormone hubazine A. Yeah. Um, yep. yeah. And this is, you know, commonly practiced. I don't know necessarily that I agree with that one. I, I understand the thread they're pulling. Yes. But I would argue that melatonin makes more sense. Mm. Okay. So melatonin is, uh, you know, if you think about it, growth hormone production happens at nighttime, yeah, in a pulsatile fashion. And melatonin production happens at nighttime. And it, it is, there is enough evidence, in my opinion, to point to the fact that melatonin actually is a somastatin inhibitor. You know, in, you know the, the, these two things align itself, that basically it's, it's, for want of a better word, permitting or encouraging the production of growth hormone. You know, in, and so... One could make a easy argument to say, look, you know, you should potentially consider using melatonin if you're using any sort of growth hormone secretagogue, 
right? I'm not, I'm not sure that anyone's prepared to step up and say, I guarantee it will work. It's very much in the, what we would call the domain of the hypothesis, but it does, it, it certainly makes sense. Mm. You know, mm. on a, on a mechanical, you know, discussion perspective, you do this and this because that does that. We think if you do those together, you should, you should see an elevated response from the application of growth hormone secreted goals. Mm. So I, I guess I'm kind of coming full circle here and repeating myself to some degree, but you can see here the point I made at the begin, beginning was this, and that is, um, you have to be very careful with science studies because even though I'm kind of like the, the, the premises that I'm referring to are based on clinical evidence, I'm not sure that I can kind of, you know, state my reputation on that. Mm. I believe that to be true. What I think I know is true. Yeah. Mm. I guess the question would be, so before I deployed that, I would ask the question is, so what harm is there in doing that? In my opinion, you know, the harm in using a milligram of melatonin as a potential somostat inhibitor is like zero, zero, like, cause I would probably use it anyway. Yeah. You know I mean? It's, it's, it's well tolerated in humans. And the doses I'm talking about, I don't consider to be high risk. So does it work? Not really sure. Very plausible discussion, very interested. I'm not sure that we have the answer today, but it's, it's clinically based discussion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and the second thing, the big thing, the big takeaway is, and, and really if I can, you know, make this message clear to, to, to people who even listen to, to my audience and that is how you see things is through your filters. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I, I very often find people disagree with what I say about things and I'm going, yeah, but that's because you're seeing it through your filters. I'm, I'm, I'm different to you because I'm interested in, behaviors like the application of pharmacology that is beyond what you would call for, for quality of life and health. This is enhancement practice. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and this is not related, but I think it's a really good example. And that is, um, and it's t- totally unrelated to the subject. If you look at the evidence that we have on the difference of magnitude between fed and fasted cardio, right? In my opinion, the evidence is really clear. The difference between fed and fasted cardio in natural individuals is so small that it becomes the best time to do cardio is when you can. Sure. Now, that changes when you're enhanced. When, when, when you start ha- using pharmacology to leverage systems here, that's not true. So I get into a lot of debates with people that consider themselves to be evidence-based practitioners, and, and I don't think they are because that's true for naturals. Everything you're saying... I can support as a natural. Now let's open my box of tools and you have a look inside and it's a scary looking box of tools what's over here. Right? And, and it's very plausible that everything changes. And if you cannot have a wide enough mind to say, listen, I made that statement on the premise of for healthy young men or women, the magnitude of difference between fed and fasted cardio is so small, right? That when you do it becomes a matter of personal choice. Mm-hmm. I completely support that. Now come and live in my world. And I will show you that that does that is not true, okay? Mm. And, and I think this is part of the challenge with, as I said at the beginning, evidence-based practitioners. You have to be very careful with evidence premised on who, who, who are we addressing here? Are we talking to, you know, 80-year-old people in a nursing home? That's probably true. Are we talking to someone like yourself in their, you know, you know 30s type bracket, healthy young guy? That's probably different. If you're talking to someone in my tribe, that's probably different again. Doing. And I think, you know, even with this discussion about melatonin, that kind of, it, it fits the pattern, right? What you're interested in, yeah, and what I'm interested in are both valid. They're just somewhat different points of view. Hmm. So if we just close this back and come back to more bias towards you, what your audience would be interested in, I would argue this, and that is melatonin would probably be, be viewed in the, in the following order priorities as a sleep hygiene enhancement tool first. Mm-hmm. Okay. I would view it as antioxidant first. Okay. You would see it probably as a antioxidant second during, and then maybe for people who have gynecomastia issues and things like that as naturals, cause it happens, yeah. right. They might go, well, that was really interesting. Like I need to find out more about that. I'm not doing those behaviors, but wow. I wonder if that could help me doing. Yeah. So, so I would say from your tribe's point of view, it's kind of like, okay, sleep hygiene, quality, antioxidant, Maybe gynecomastia tool, maybe, maybe, maybe you go down the list. Yeah, my, my list is different. So I would say you probably have two choices. The direct supplementation of melatonin, I believe from everything we have available that we can consider the use of this drug to be you know, uh, well tolerated in people. Yeah. I don't believe that moderate supplementation is a health risk. You mean? I do accept the fact that if you're going to blast into the 20, 30 milligrams, you probably want to look at that. Yeah. 
Um, but at not at 0.3 milligrams, I think, I think we can say that's a, an acceptable tolerance model. Yeah, yeah. Acceptable risk model. The question then becomes one of, so do I do anything per se? Do I just leave it alone? Right. Do I just use blue light blocking lenses and blackout curtains and, and, and leave the hormonal modulation alone? That's very valid. The next step would, I would say behaviors first, mm-hmm. supplementation second. Which supplementation model was, I would try melatonin like as, at 0.3 milligrams, yep. you know, and then titrate the dose potentially to three. I mean, looking for the well-reported concept of, you know, yeah, but I'm drowsy the next day. That doesn't make me feel good. And if you experience that, then you have two choices. Scale back the amount of melatonin you're using. I think that's an important takeaway from this, which is you do realize that it begins at 0.3, not, not three. Yeah? Yep. And the alternative was, well, what if I was to take a couple of steps before that and then look at the supplementation <coughs> of precursors and providing a substrate pool? Completely valid completely valid. I think it comes down though in honestly, rather than a blanket prescriptive statement to personal choice. Yep. You should try them both and you should see what how, how you respond as a genetically unique individual. Um, there's more moving parts to a sleep stack. I think that's fair. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to say does, doesn't work. I think it's personal choice. I don't, I, I don't know if you agree, but I think, I think that's a fair summary yeah. of, 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 of supplementation model. Yeah. For sure. I mean, the way you, the way you broke that down really does make sense, both from a logical perspective and scientific perspective. I do want to add in one more point. Sure. Um, I want to explore the concept of jet lag and specifically one mistake that I see people make. The, the first one is how, if somebody has a, let's say they've gone out, they've been clubbing or whatever, they come home at like 2 a.m., whatever, that's not when you take melatonin, right? You I do, do 100%. Yeah. So let's, let's look <laughs> yeah, at that. shitty day. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, but that's just fucking logical. <laughs> that's, that's just like, hello, you're in, like, you can have a lot of beer. But we have, we have, we have people who do that. We have, people who, we have people who will look at melatonin as this will just not. They, they, see as a, they see it as an agent to put them to sleep and they don't yeah. realize there's a consequence to that that will spill down the cascade. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, the next completely. day, the next yeah, night. Then absolutely. they just tell themselves the next night, okay, your desired bedtime's 2 a.m. It's interesting though, Lucas, that that <laughs> kind of falls into the kind of behaviours discussion that we, we had originally. Like, you know I mean? Like, I mean, like, don't get me wrong. Like, I mean, every now and again, once every two years, that happens to me. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a long way past that point. I, like, I, you know, I, I go to bed at midnight because I'm working or I'm, 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 I'm studying or I'm, you know, with my family or something like that. You know, like if you're at clubbing and stuff like that, yeah, I, I, I agree. But I think that you're not approaching that from a rational, logical point of view, like try, trying to, it's kind of, and it's not the same, but I'm sure you'll appreciate the analogy. It's kind of like an alcoholic asking what liver supplement they should take. They should take to keep their liver healthy. It's like, what the fuck are you talking? It's like completely the wrong thread, right? Like, stop drinking or drinking. I mean, I'm not saying stop drinking. Drink in moderation, and then you don't need to worry about your liver. Do you yeah. Know? Yeah. So, taking sleep aids for people that are clubbing until three o'clock in the morning is is this is a this is a non-discussion. This is just doesn't make sense. You mean like you're going to have issues with sleep hygiene and quality of life if that is the behavioral choice you make you're in and if you do it on occasion and you're young you know that's what being young is all about have some fun right but if you're doing it repeatedly you know night after night after night that's going to take its toll that's going to catch up the bill will come due and there's no supplementation in the world that's going to fix that and um in the context of jet lag what's your stance there i I, you know i it's, it's interesting a lot of things that people do, I think that their outcomes through behavioral choice, I'll give you an example. What I mean by that is I understand if you work for a corporation and they book your tickets and, and you know, tell you when you're going to go where, that you really don't have a choice, like in terms of when you travel and how you travel. But I'm, I work for myself and I'm very strategic. Even when I fly, I, I, I choose the time I fly because I know that when I fly is going to have consequence here. And when you live in a world that says, look, most of the traveling that I do, most of the traveling that I do is within the Asia Pacific kind of region you're in. Most of those flights are three or four hours you're in, and I don't get on the plane, you know, 12 o'clock. <laughs> I, I, I try to fly in such a process that when I you know get there, I'll have a quality night's sleep. 
I will wake up the next day and I will be fully productive and I can then, you know, come, come back at an appropriate time zone. I do understand that. I'm, I'm very empathetic. There is, go, there is going to be situations where your scheduling is just horrid, <laughs> right? And I'm, and, and I'm not opposed to people, you know, asking the question, is there something that I could do about that? Yeah. But I think the answer is actually simple and that's, do you really have to do that in that way? Is, is there, is there, is there an alternative? Mm. And I said, Maybe someone has different experience to me, but I, I travel in Asia Pacific region. Most of the flights are less than eight hours in duration, most of them. During, and yeah, if you pick your climbing wrong, you're going to mess yourself up sort of thing in terms of like, you know, you know, putting, putting rhythms out of sleep and disruptive sleep patterns on the flight and things like that. But you know, and I, I think if you choose, I think if you do nothing more than choose the flight times, that's probably going to be more impactful than any supplementation model you take. Now, if you don't have that choice, I would argue a precursor model is a far better choice. Mm. I mean, let your body do what it's, it's, it's the same argument as the T4, T3 model. I'm sure everybody is familiar with. I think that the supplementation of T4 mm. is, is a much better logical model than T3. Now that doesn't mean I don't use T3 supplementation, but basically what that means is, you're giving your body a pool of substrate to do with it as it wishes. Doing, and your body, as long as long as your body has that pool of substrate on hand, then this is great. And this is part of the process of even you know you know like go well, what else might we do in this regard? I would argue that like a, a pool of like you know uh, you know something like alpha alpha GPC as a you know potential choline donor just you know put, make make sure that you have the substrate that your your that your body might need on hand in those circumstances but here's the thing i would argue you, you should probably do that all the time anyway yeah i mean so there's a lot of things that i do I, i'll give you an example i supplement with dhea okay now there's there's a very strong argument to be made especially from those that undertake testosterone replacement therapy right that that's unnecessary but I would argue this and that is, well, <clears throat> I mean, they would argue, look, you should, if, as long as you get your DHA, you know, uh, blood work, you know, including blood work, then the, the supplementation makes no sense. And I would go, yeah, but you do understand that enhanced individuals potentially have a greater precursor pool requirement. Okay. And serum levels of DHA are not necessarily correlated to tissue levels. Mm. All right? So there's a lot of things that I do like alpha GPC, like DHEA, like, 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 that are basically following this, the, the, the precursor supplementation model, mm. right? In a, in a preemptive effect, because I am who I am. Mm. So right now, this is interesting. Right now I supplement with 5-HTP and basically L-theanine and I take magnesium and I take zinc and I take chromium and I take uh, metformin before bed, okay? So I'm not right now using melatonin, but I'm not using melatonin as my antioxidant strategy right now. Yeah. Okay? I'm using other antioxidants, and so I'm kind of trying to trying to understand the antioxidant choice. M maybe, I, I know I touched on this as kind of when we're reaching out to time, but if, I, if, I, if you don't mind, Marty, yeah. um, th this is the great, you know, I, I have a list of questions that I'm trying to answer myself. I'm still learning. I learn every day. One of the reoccurring questions that I, I I want to better understand is this, and nobody has the answer. I mean, I'm not I'm not looking for someone to drop me a note say they do this right. Nobody has this answer, and that is for enhanced individuals to accept that they have an elevated oxidative stress model. Apart from a, a a diet that is rich in fruits and vegetables, dark berries, and you know the the, the obvious choices that we would make through nutritional practice what would be the best antioxidant model? You could make a very good argument for a large number of antioxidants, but all of the clinical evidence that we have on antioxidants is really as monotherapies, okay? So it's this antioxidant was evaluated <coughs> for this circumstance and showed positive effect. But, you know, most of us are using multiple antioxidants. You know, like many of the compounds that I use could be considered as anti-inflammatory. As I mentioned metformin, this is an anti-inflammatory and an antioxidant in its own right, Julian. So if we're, pre, if we're doing precursor supplementation for, yeah, the, exactly, yeah. So, so the premise here is, okay, so one of the great questions I have, and I have a list of them. I'm, try, I'm trying to get to the, you know, the bottom of them. I don't know the answers. And please don't, don't send me your, your answers because you're wrong. I'm not saying you're wrong as nobody knows, right? Yeah. We, we're trying to figure this out, in my opinion. What we have is 
a very good discussion to support the use of antioxidants as monotherapies under certain circumstances. But I would argue if you're going to choose one, if you were just going to say, I'm only going to use one antioxidant, I would say there's a really good case for melatonin because of the, the cascade effect. Mm-hmm. It's, it's milligram for milligram, the greatest bang for your buck. It crosses the blood-brain barrier, so it's on our brain, on our body, right? I think it would be hard to beat that argument. Mm-hmm. But I will accept the fact that I don't know anyone that takes that philosophy. Everybody I know has a multiple, you know, like what we call a polypharmacy stack in terms of antioxidant supplementation, including myself. And so figuring out which ones to use in which combinations and at which dosages becomes far more complicated because we just don't have any clinical evidence to support on. We are working on uh, opinion and hypothesis and speculation and, you know, and may, maybe observation. Maybe someone said, I, I did this. And however they measure that positive response and they're happy with it, great. That's the process that, 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 that I think that we need more clinical evidence to support us to say, okay, so it's all well and good to look at these things in, in, in isolation to ourselves. But in a real world application, if we can take, you know, some alternative models and compare them to each other for the efficacy and like, you know, but not, not just one, one of those choices. So if I use melatonin and, you know, metformin and taurine and NAC together in a stack at moderate dosages, is there a benefit to using multiple antioxidants that potentially have somewhat different subtleties of mechanism of action? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Somewhat subtle differences. Yes. Like the, it's, it's kind of like the difference between berberine and metformin. They don't have the same mechanism, of action, but they tend to cause the same outcome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sim, somewhat similar. Yeah? yeah. So is there a benefit to one? Should you just do one? Should you do many? If you're going to do many, do you take the recommended dose for all of them? Do you lower that dose? You know, this, 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 these are the interesting things. And the one last thing I would, the, the, the last layer on top of that would be this for people that train. It's important to understand that the inflammatory process, right, is a requirement of hypertrophic response. Okay. So we're also trying to recognize that inflammation is not the enemy. It's you know, inflammation under certain circumstances has the potential to have a positive and under certain circumstances have a deleterious effect on us, on physiology. So one of the rules of antioxidant application that I try to get across to people is I recommend you try to space them as far away from the training window as possible. Mm-hmm. So if you train in the morning, take them at night. If you train at night, take them in the morning. I think that trying to blunt you know, uh, inflammation around the training window does plausibly, because we have evidence to support this, right, have the potential to blunt hypertrophy. We've seen this with the overuse of metformin in anabolic resistant older people. That's a, that's a, a poor use of the drug model, not a flaw of the drug you know, study, in my opinion. We've seen this in the use of you know, non-steroidal anti-inflammatories you know, used around the training window, a blunting of hypertrophic response. It's a very plausible discussion. And I think the easiest way to answer that is to simply say, look, whatever you're doing with antioxidant supplementation, whatever you're doing with anti-inflammatory supplementation, just position it away from the training window as far as you can, the opposite end of the day. Awesome. Yeah. yeah, look, that's um, full of amazing golden nuggets there, Victor. I think um, there's yeah. a few good points there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think uh, my listeners are going to learn a lot from this. So, Victor, where can people find you if they want to learn more about you, your services? Give them an opportunity to, yeah, find you. Let's let's both do that because I'm going to take this content and put it on my content, and I'm and I'm sure there's people that are in your audience that have never uh, Victor who right. And so I appreciate that. that there's a, but I want to do the same for you because I'm, I'm sure there's people that follow me that are, are maybe, I mean, I'm sure you're better known than I am, but I'm sure there's still people out there that would benefit from, from the content you put out. So uh, there's a little thing above my head that says at Victor Black Masterclass. So that's my Instagram account. I mean, obviously I have a YouTube account. I also have a membership site. You know, I have a, a, a site for women, enhancedwomen.com. I have victorblackmasterclass.com and I'm about to open up in a couple of months a site specifically for coaches. So for, for people are saying, look, I'm in the game. I make money from this. I'm really interested in learning more about enhancement practices and things and things like that. Um, the first two sites are really designed for what I would call serious recreational trainers. And the new site that isn't yet up and running, it's going to be called Prep Coach Academy. 
uh, is literally going to be the like the, the the step up the food chain as it were. Okay, let's 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 roll up our sleeves and go a little further down the rabbit hole here, and and have some more you know uh, detailed conversations that the general public will kind of their eyes will glaze over and they'll get you know like that, that's enough for them sort of thing. So, yeah. Thank you everyone for joining in to today's episode. For in-depth show notes and lessons learned, visit nofilter.media forward slash boost your biology. This has been a No Filter Media production. Say what you want. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.